Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here. Such a nice, beautiful weather day. I think Tuesday it's supposed to be like 99, so get your lawns mowed today. Do all of those things that you need to do before it gets hot again. Feed the cows, uh, bale the hay, do all of that stuff that you need to do before it gets really, really stinking hot. Uh, but we are blessed that you are here with us this morning at Morning Hour Chapel. We're so happy to see so many faces here. I know that we're missing some people on vacations and things like that. And if you're watching us uh, on live stream or you're watching us later, uh, we are blessed to have you with us as well. Today is Independence Day. On July 4, 1776, the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and adopted the Declaration of Independence this proclamation to the world that the 13 colonies would no longer accept being subjects of King George III of England. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Thomas Jefferson wrote those words just a couple of days before July 4th, 1776, and after telling the reader why they were writing this declaration, Jefferson wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the rest of the document goes on to tell all the ways that King George had been governing the colonies in a way that squashed what they called these unalienable rights that the Founding Fathers believed were endowed by our Creator. Throughout the rest of American history, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness have been the gold standard for this country and for millions around the globe who have fought for these things in their own countries or who have come here seeking them out. Christians in the United States have, throughout American history, looked to the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, other documents written by the founders to conclude that we are a Christian nation and to claim the rights put forth in these writings for their own. You will not like the rest of this sermon. Just giving you a fair warning right now. Because I have to ask a question. Are these the ideals that Christians are called to embrace? Life, liberty, Pursuit of happiness, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the right to bear arms, the right to hold private property. Are these the things that are crucial to our ability to live lives pleasing to God? Are they even compatible with our Christian faith? This morning I want to explore another declaration. Just as Thomas Jefferson wrote the reasons for his Declaration of Independence, we should look at our reason 
for this exploration. Let's start with his preamble again. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Jefferson speaks of the laws of nature and of nature's God and he's right. They are the laws of nature because they are God's laws. In the first three chapters of Genesis, we read that God created humans in his image, and he created everything that they would need to sustain life. He created them. He breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. He created oxygen to help keep them alive. He created plants and trees, and he created the sun to help the plants and the trees grow, and he created the rivers to, to water all of the plants and the trees, and he created the animals, and then he created the moon and the stars. All of these things working together in harmony to provide us with life. And he created the man and the woman so that they could have relationship, not only with God, but with one another. The laws of nature's God, as Jefferson puts it, were pretty sweet. I like the laws that he gave to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Have lots of sex and babies. Fill the earth with humans. Tend the garden. Keep it growing. Eat the things that grow in the garden that I have created for you. Keep yourselves alive. Humanity was free. They had life. They had liberty. And they had the pursuit, not of happiness, but of joy. The joy that only God the Father can give us. And God put only one limitation on the freedom of humanity. He told them not to eat the fruit of one single tree in all the world. One tree, one fruit. Don't eat that fruit. And what was humanity's response? I've got an unalienable right to eat the fruit from that tree. God's trying to infringe on my rights that he gave me. And they ate. And their spirits their souls died. They no longer had life. Now God could have just left them like that. Death had entered into the world. God could have simply waited for Adam and Eve to die and have been done with it. It was in his rights to do that because they were his creation. But he didn't. God was not willing to let Adam and Eve just die. He was not willing to let us just die. He wanted us back. He wanted us to be back into a relationship with him. And he made a rescue plan. A rescue plan to save 
all of humanity, to bring our spirits, our souls back to life, and to bring our lives back into relationship with him. If we're going to write a Christian declaration, our opening statement might look something like this. When in the course of human events, humanity dissolved the spiritual band which had connected them to our creator God and presumed to rebel against the law of God, God gave them over to their rebellion, but declared that though they impelled themselves to separation with him, he would provide a way to be reconciled back into relationship with him. And that way was Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, left his home by God's side and became a human. He became a human being to save humans. I think I've been hitting the wrong button. My apologies. Jesus Christ lived on earth. He taught us who God is. He taught us what God wants from us and for us. And Jesus Christ died a horrible death on a cross after a night of being beaten and flogged and spit at, and punched by Jews and by Romans, by God's people and the heathens, the Jews and the Gentiles. And he did all of these things for one reason. So that human spirits, human souls could be brought back to life. So that we might be brought back into a restored relationship, so that we could be reclaimed to God the Father. Then on the third day after his death, Jesus rose from the grave, conquering death so that we might not only have life, but have eternal life. So that we might dwell with God forever. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become citizens of heaven much like the colonists became citizens of the newly formed United States, except that God's kingdom is eternal. We have not yet met a human kingdom that has been eternal. Human kingdoms rise and fall. God's kingdom is forever. But what does citizenship in the kingdom of God mean? What are we as citizens expected to do? And what can we expect from the kingdom? Well, we know what we can expect from the kingdom. Eternal life in the presence of God the Father. In 1776, Thomas Jefferson wrote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, unalienable means that these rights are impossible for anyone to take away. These rights are yours. No one can take away the right to live freely and to pursue the things that make us happy, is what Jefferson is saying. 
So certain was Mr. Jefferson of this truth that he is quoted as saying, nothing is unchangeable but the inherent and unalienable rights of man. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, the American way. Right? Superman, right? Fought for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We like life. How many of you like to be alive? Most of you? Yeah? We like liberty. We like to pursue happiness. We like to be happy. How many of you like to be sad? No? I like to be happy. We like our inalienable or unalienable rights. We argue for them. We fight for them. We oppose those who try to take them away. But as citizens of heaven, I wonder if we're arguing and fighting for the right rights. As citizens of heaven, the life we're supposed to be pursuing is life in Jesus Christ. We're called to be his disciples and to be living examples of who he is. And Jesus knew that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is not usually in keeping with our heavenly citizenship. If we look at our citizenship biblically, our declaration will call for death, slavery, and the pursuit of holiness. Not life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Christ calls us to death. In Luke 9, 23 to 24, we read Jesus' words, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Taking up your cross daily and following Jesus means you fully expect to die. You fully expect to be nailed to a cross, to suffocate until you are dead. That is what Jesus means. He's not being hyperbolic here. He's not exaggerating. If you're not willing to do the things I'm willing to do, you cannot be my disciple. And that includes being willing to die. I'm not sure Thomas Jefferson would agree with that. In John 3, when Jesus talks to the Pharisee Nicodemus, he says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is talking about being born in the spirit, born in the soul. But to be born in the spirit means first dying to ourselves, dying to our spirit of sin. As citizens of God's kingdom, we die to sin so that we may live as Christ lives, having conquered death and living with God. When we are born again, we live the lives of citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom. Our freedom, our liberty is found in absolute surrender. That sounds like a little bit of an oxymoron, doesn't it? Those are opposite things. How can I live freely if I surrender? Because when we surrender, what are we doing? 
We're saying, I give up. I'm going to listen to you now. I'm going to be your subject. I'm going to be whatever it is that you want me to be. And when we surrender to Jesus Christ, that is what we are telling him. I am no longer an American. I am Christ's. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. When we're born again, we live the lives of citizens of heaven. The Apostle Paul calls this being a slave. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. In church language, those who have become Christians speak of Jesus becoming our Lord and Savior. We often call it being saved, because that's what Jesus called. We like the Savior part. How many of you like that you are saved? How many of you love the fact that Jesus came and died so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could know eternal life with God the Father? We like the Savior part. We are thrilled with the Savior part. But when it comes to Jesus being Lord, we don't like that so much. That's something entirely different. A Lord, by definition, is one who has power and authority over another, acting as a chief ruler or master over them. When we submit to Jesus Christ, we become his subjects. And subjects are expected to comply. Subjects are expected to do whatever the Lord tells you to do. And Americans don't like being told what to do. We think that if someone tells us what to do or how to live or how to think or how to speak, that it infringes on our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I think our motto in the United States really should be, you're not the boss of me. Because we don't like being told. Now, we'll accept certain laws, but we do it begrudgingly sometimes, and some of them we just ignore altogether. But we don't like being told what to do. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when he becomes our Savior, he also becomes our Lord. And what we're doing is we are surrendering to Jesus Christ, and we're saying, tell me what to do. Tell me how to live. I will live in the way that you want me to live, not in the way that I want to live, because the way that I want to live leads to death. The way that I want to live leads to destruction. Because the way I want to live is drinking, smoking, sex, drugs. That's the way I want to live. It's the way I used to live before coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And those are the things I'm still tempted to live every single day. 
Because Satan wants to take me from Christ. Satan wants me to say, I'm no longer your subject. I need Christ to tell me how to live. I need Christ to tell me what is going to provide life. Because when I let Christ tell me what provides life, he also tells me what provides liberty. And he also tells me what provides joy. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus uses this spectacular imagery of what it looks like, what our lives look like when we obey his word. Matthew 7, 24 to 27, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus wants to give us that foundation. He wants to tell us how to build our house. Chris Plessick was here last week, gave a great message, and he was talking about building, and he was talking about all of the different things having to do with building something the right way. Jesus here is telling us how we build our lives the right way. We hear his words. We do his words. He goes on, of course, to say, and anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. If I'm not listening to what Jesus tells me to do, I'm going to fall. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my life, my liberty. And I'm not going to be able to pursue happiness. Christians, we cannot stand for Christ if we don't do what Christ tells us to do. We cannot stand if we're not willing to make Jesus Christ not just our Savior, but our Lord. We cannot stand if we are not willing to kneel before Jesus Christ in complete obedience to him as his slaves. And when we live in obedience to Christ's command, we will pursue holiness, or as Jesus put it, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's good news! God knows what we need to live. He knows that we need food and oxygen and water. He knows that we need clothing. He knows that we need shelter. Don't seek those things. Seek the kingdom of God. God will take care of the rest for us. When we pursue happiness, we're pursuing something emotional, something 
fleeting, something temporary. Different things make us happy at different times. And sometimes the thing that makes me happy today doesn't make me happy tomorrow. Some people pursue happiness through uh, money. Even though the old saying goes, money can't buy you happiness. And of course, the response to that was, yeah, but I can rent it for a while. Some people pursue happiness through relationships, sexual or otherwise. But soon, our relationships don't make us happy anymore. They get old, or they, 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 they have some sort of, we have some sort of falling out with people, and then we look for another person to make us happy. Happiness is temporary. We're going from thing to thing, and person to person, and place to place to find happiness. When we pursue holiness, when we pursue righteousness, we are pursuing something that is constant and eternal. When we pursue godliness, we are constantly seeking God's will. We want to know what God wants us to do, and God's will never changes. He always wants the same thing for us, to be seeking his kingdom and his righteousness and to be building the kingdom by pointing lost souls to the cross of Jesus Christ. Those are the things that God wants. You want to ask God, what's your will for my life? I guarantee you he's going to tell you, point people to Christ. Point people to Christ. Death slavery, and the pursuit of holiness. These are the things that lead to life, liberty, and joy. Declaration of Independence says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And instead of looking to these so-called rights, these man-made rights, let us write a new declaration. Let us write a declaration of godliness. We hold God's truth as it is revealed in Scripture that all humanity needs salvation and must look to Christ's work on the cross and believe on him to be saved. And I'd add to that that they must give up their man-made rights and accept that Christ calls us to death, slavery, and the pursuit of holiness. Would you pray with me? Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. Yes, we are thankful to live in a country where our lives are easy. We live in a country where our Christianity is easy. Father, I don't know if that's a blessing or a Father, I ask that you would put into our hearts and our minds to pursue carrying our crosses every day. 
that you would put into our hearts. Obedience. Slavery to Christ. I ask that you would help us to understand in our hearts that obedience to Christ leads not just to happiness, but to eternal joy. Father, we thank you for these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. This morning we are going to celebrate communion. And in celebrating communion, we are commemorating all of the things that Jesus lost that we sometimes seek. Jesus lost liberty. Jesus lost the ability to pursue anything. And Jesus lost his physical life. But we are thankful that he did those things. Because he did those things, we can pursue life in Christ liberty from sin, and the pursuit of God's joy. I'm going to ask uh, the deacons to come forward. They're going to be serving communion this morning. We're uh, going back a little bit to the way that we did things before. We're going to have you guys come forward to accept uh, communion. Uh, what I would ask, though, we are still using the, uh, the cups, the, the little pre-made cups, if you would uh, come and receive and go back to your seats and then we will partake uh, as a congregation. Uh, what I would encourage you to spend the next couple of moments uh, praying, examining yourself, asking God to put into your hearts a spirit of obedience to Him. When you're prepared, please come forward. If you are unable to come forward, if you would raise your hand, we will have somebody bring the communion items back to you. Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, dined with his disciples. He took bread and he broke it. And he blessed it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, body of Christ. When the meal was finished, Jesus took a cup of wine and he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new or this is the new covenant of my blood. Each time you do this, do it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ. As you leave this week, as you live in your community, at work, school, 
wherever you are. Remember the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ. Freedom that truly cannot be taken away. Remember your life in Jesus Christ. The liberty that he gives you to be reconciled to God the Father. And remember to pursue holiness. God bless you this week.